Snap Wilson, quarterback draw on third and 15. 20, 15, 10, oh, he's going to go! Five, touchdown, Cougars! Down the lane, back to Yo. Yo on the arc, shoots a three, and scores it. Yoni Childs for three! To the right, putting a shot on goal, it is a goal for Elise Blake! This is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. And now, here's Greg Rubel. Good evening and hello once again, Cougar Nation. Welcome back inside Studio 2 at the BYU Radio Facilities inside the BYU Broadcasting Building on the BYU campus in Provo, Utah. For another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel, our weekly hour of Cougar conversations with BYU sports personalities past and present. We are back off a brief hiatus for BYU basketball games on each of the last four Wednesday nights. And we are live tonight on BYU Radio, coast-to-coast on Sirius XM 143 and in northern Utah on 107.9 FM and 89.1 FM HD2. You can also stream us online at byuradio.org and on the BYU Radio app. On demand, you can hear our show on our Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast. And the archives can also be found on the BYU Radio app and at byuradio.org by going to our shows page. On tonight's program, we're spending the entire hour with Mark Lyons, who in 48 hours will be uh, nearing his final sign-off as the game analyst and color commentator for the BYU football radio broadcasts. A former BYU quarterback whose Cougar career began in the late 60s, Mark went from playing into high school coaching and ultimately into college broadcasting, weaving into it a lengthy tenure as an educator as well. His radio career has lasted 38 seasons, and this Friday in Boise, Idaho, at the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, Mark will bring to that career to a close as the Cougars collide with Western Michigan. One of the foes Mark faced and defeated as the Cougar signal caller back in the day. My relationship with Mark began in 1992 when I joined the BYU football radio broadcast crew as the sideline reporter for Paul James and Mark. Over the next nine seasons, I got to learn from both of them. And then when PJ retired after the 2000 season, I got to continue working with one of them as I became Mark's new play-by-play partner. 18 seasons later, our tenure together is now coming to a close. And while we still have a few hours more to spend together on the air, I wanted to share this particular hour with Mark, talk more about the things we haven't talked about a lot on the air over the years. Even though I've learned a lot about Mark and his life away from the gridiron and away from the headset, I hope to learn even more tonight, along with all of you out there in Cougar Nation. And so, with that, I welcome Mark Lyons into Studio 2, and I thank him for joining me behind the mic. Greg, my boy, Greg, my boy, that was a great introduction. Uh, Let me tell you, uh, my wife and I were talking the other day and just about how good Greg Rubel is. And when he talks, he doesn't ever stop and say, uh, uh, and he doesn't have to think. His sentences flow. It's all cohesive. I'm just so impressed that uh, you're able to do uh, that. You're able to uh, uh, do that (laughs) because I have a hard time with that. So, Greg. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on. Well, who's going to talk so nicely about me when you're gone? Is the question. <laughs> I'll tweet it out. <laughs> so uh, we we establish uh, with every broadcast that you have ties to Colorado because you are the Arvada, the Arvada Flash. <laughs> but your 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 upbringing uh, takes you uh, places far away from Colorado. Let's let's back way up. Wow! And bring the rest of your your uh, your cross country upbringing into things here. Well, I was born in central Illinois, and, uh, you know, for me to have been in the booth 38 years, that makes me older than 38, and so uh, it was a long time ago that that happened. But uh, my dad was a basketball coach, and my mom was a school teacher, and uh, in Taylorville, Illinois. And Taylorville, uh, my dad was a basketball coach, and he was a good one. In Illinois, it's kind of like Indiana. Everybody in the state enters the state tournament. And so uh, you have to go through all of these quarters and these sectionals in order to get into the finals. And three times my dad's teams made it to the Sweet 16, final 16 there. Uh, While we lived in Illinois and since my parents were school teachers in the summer, we went to my dad's old hometown in Brule, Wisconsin. And, uh, man, it was a fun upbringing. Uh, The river ran through it. And uh, that's where my dad threw me in the river and said, swim. And then I didn't, and he went after me. But uh, (laughs) we canoed a lot. Uh, Boy, it it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Uh, The Brule runs into Lake Superior, and we had all of those kind of things going on. We've made a few uh, Midwestern 
journeys and our time together. And so this often comes up, these, these towns yeah, and these I places. Know, yeah. I know, I know. And so in Kalamazoo in 1968, a, a guy, so he, uh, he was in Illinois, and uh, he coached with my dad in Taylorville. And he came to our football game, uh, went up from Chicago to Kalamazoo, and was able to watch the football game. Against Western Michigan. Against Western That's Michigan. That's where they're located. Yeah, yeah. I know. And so uh, it was pretty cool that uh, one of my dad's old coaches who had seen me as a tyke saw that I was uh, a full-fledged grown-up wearing football pads and uh, saw me in the football game. That was pretty, fo- that was pretty fun. Didn't you have some, uh, some grandparents who had ties to Canada? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. my parents were yeah. both born in Canada, and my uh, grandfather, yeah, he homesteaded yeah. in Saskatchewan. Yeah. And uh, so— uh, Which is uh, where I grew up, and so that, that comes up occasionally yeah, during, know, our, during so our dinners over the years. Yeah. I thought you weren't listening when I was telling you those <laughs> stories. That's good. <laughs> so he homesteaded. Man, I have pictures of the sod house that my dad was born in. Uh, Genealogy is great, but— uh, then they moved to northern uh, Wisconsin, and uh, wow, uh, my dad was the Iron River Flash, just down the road. He literally was. That that was, was his nickname. He was, yeah. I happened to find an article recently, and uh, he was the Iron River Flash, which made me chuckle because I really wasn't the Arvada No, Flash. but you are to me, and yeah. Cougar Nation now. So one of these days, you know, I, during one of the broadcasts, I just made up the fact that <laughs> that you'd be called the Arvada Flash yeah. because you were from Arvada, Colorado, played your high school ball there, and you were swift of foot, and you were a tremendous athlete. And so I just I, – I, I, I created the Arvada Flash in my own brain for you. And uh, that's – and then so when you found that your dad was the Iron River Flash, like, hold up. Yeah, yeah. I know. It was like the, the Flash Jr. And so, uh, yeah, I really appreciated that, that I found that because I always chuckled, and I still do, when you call me the Arvada Every Flash. Every time, yeah. Yeah. So when did uh, when did you move westward? Uh, I was ten years old. <clears throat> we moved to Arvada, Colorado, and my dad was the basketball coach there at Arvada and coached football. And so, uh, did he coach you? Uh, he let, he coached my older brother, and uh, they were good. They were ranked number one in the state, but they lost. And uh, a lot of people felt as though the nepotism of him playing his son. Hmm created a problem on the basketball team, which I found strange. And so my dad transferred schools the year I went into high school. And so we ended up with three different coaches the three years that I played there. They should have kept your dad? They should have kept my dad. He should have stayed. And uh, then I would have been able to bring him the glory he so deserved. <laughs> you played uh, both sports, right? Football, basketball. And baseball. And, 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 and so which one were you? Well, maybe it's, obvious you, which are, yeah, maybe it's obvious that you're best at football. But uh, what did you like most? What do you think you're best at? I thought I was a better basketball player than a football player. And the reason why is I think I liked basketball more at the time. Everybody's got a hoop in their backyard, and you can go out and – shoot yourself you know you can get your neighbor and you play horse and you play one-on-one uh there's every park's got a basketball court you don't have a tackling dummy out in your backyard and you know to get a bunch of guys together and play football just wasn't as easy to do as getting basketball players together so uh, my dad being the coach i got to go over to the gym and be able to shoot a lot of hoop and uh i thought i was going to be it and then i I thought I was going to be a pro basketball player until I saw that uh, 6'2 white guards just don't have much of a chance. And so <laughs> I played uh, football and baseball uh, at the time. In the old days, that, that kind of happened. And uh, so Frank Fabris was a coach from BYU, and he came to our high school and uh, watched some film and ended up uh, saying – I think we might be able to make you. A, well, he was a Southerner. I think we. I can't do it. <laughs> I think we might be able to make you a football player. <laughs> he was a coach for Tom Hudspeth, right? Tom Hudspeth. Yeah. He was the offensive line coach, and uh, so. But he didn't, he didn't want you as an offensive lineman. Clearly, no, 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 no. no but he recruited the yeah. the Denver right. area. Right, that was his area. Yeah, and so uh, I met Craig Bozich and Monty Squires, and. Uh, after our uh, entertaining dinner that we had, this is your recruiting recruit, trip. Or on our yeah. recruit trip, we have become lifelong friends. This is true. Yeah, they've been to many of our games over the years. They have been to many games. Yeah. We get together uh, once a year. Uh, I know where Monty and Craig are right now. Monty's <laughs> in Florida visiting his daughter, and he's going to be there for another week. Uh, Craig just got back from Hawaii, 
I know where all of those guys are that uh, we were so close together. And so we were the Colorado trio, and so trio, and so we kind of hung together just because nobody knew anybody else. You know, you come to BYU and you, you don't have a lot of associations, so you you really use your teammates as your friends. And then uh, we picked up a, a guy from Arizona, Mike Loper from Phoenix, and Horace Smith from Las Vegas. Guys, we've also seen well, you obviously, but they've they've been around over the years. They yeah, are. Yeah. And, uh, Horace called me yesterday, and we talked about uh, his daughter's coming to visit him the day after Christmas this year. And Mike Loper's son, though, one of his sons is gone, so he's going to spend the other with his other son in, outside of San Diego. So, yeah, uh, we are, well, we're brothers. And uh, This is 50 years ago. 50 years ago. Yeah. and uh, Before then, it's really 52 or 3 years ago, really, when you when go right down to it. we started in 65, yeah, yeah, when we came in 65, and we've had a life together. And, you know, uh, I do try to imagine why is it that we're so tight and the other teammates are close too. You know, there's other guys that we're good with. But you get in that huddle and you've been sweating together, you bleed together, uh, you have this association, you look in each other's eyes and you're all tired and fatigued and yet you want to go get this next play and make it the best one you've had so far that day. And then we finish and we're beat up and we go home and – some guy didn't do well on his test yesterday, and you pull him up and you help him out. Somebody's dad died while we were down there together, and those guys helped pull me along and helped build me up and take care of me. Uh, it's just uh, an association with those guys. It's just, uh, you know, it's great. You know, I just uh, love them. It's lifelong. It's it's forever. Yeah, it is. It's lifelong. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think that that uh, makes such a difference that your teammates become uh, who you are close to. And I think that's important in all of those team sports that uh, everybody has that association. You want to hang around with your teammates. If teams are not hanging around with their teammates, then I think they have a disconnect that they are missing the opportunity of becoming tight and unified and playing the game together. Who else uh... – was visiting and recruiting and talking to you when you were in high school. <laughs> you mean Virgil? Are you talking about Virgil? No, I'm talking about other schools. Oh, other schools that yeah. came. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I had some opportunities to play basketball at Wyoming and at Colorado State. And uh, there was a, a Mesa Junior College uh, wanted me to play both football and basketball. And then Westminster College here in Salt Lake was offering me a baseball scholarship. And so um, uh, I, I had a hard time in that decision. I, I really thought I might be a basketball player. But, uh, man, at Colorado State, uh, we went – as another teammate and I from Arvada, we went at the same time to our weekend trip to Colorado State. And we played basketball in this gym until maybe – well, it was after midnight. And we played three-on-three. Three. We went out for pizza – Afterwards, and it must have been like two o'clock, and I'm thinking, is this what's going on? <laughs> what's going on in Fort Collins? Is this the thing to do? <laughs> and so uh, when I came here on my trip to BYU, well, first of all, it was my first airplane ride ever, and uh, everybody acted like uh, I was somebody. <laughs> and uh, well, Greg, uh, I'll tell you. Uh, I, know I get all emotional here, but man, the place was clean and vibrant and people were nice. And there was a special feeling at BYU. There was a, a, a different atmosphere that exists here at this school. And your perspective at the time was that of somebody who was not a member of the sponsoring church. That's correct. Yeah, I was a Christian. What was your, what was your religious background? I was a Christian yeah. scientist. And, uh, you know, from one weird one to another one. But, uh, <laughs> no, we're, uh, we're peculiar. <laughs> uh, man, uh, I, uh, had, uh, I had the church situation. I went to church for my hour on Sunday, and that was church. And uh, that was good. And uh, when I came to BYU, I found out, Man alive, these guys pray a lot, you know, and uh, they their religion is a big part of their life. And every day you go through a situation where people are all involved in their religion. 
Uh, I was quite impressed. But before I got here, that was the thing. Uh, I decided to pray about it, and uh, my mother prayed about it. Uh, we were both kind of uh, trying to find what's the right thing to do. Uh, this was a football scholarship, and I liked football. And I like the challenge that Coach Fabris did say to me. I think we can make you a quarterback. And I kind of got to the point where I was thinking, I'll show you. But uh, that next day, both my mom and I, well, she started out the conversation. You don't want to go to Colorado State. And uh, I said, you know, I don't think I do. I think I want to go to BYU. And uh, after that conversation, BYU was the place that I was going to go. And, man, alive, you know, uh, it, it's the best decision I ever made. You know, uh, I got to meet you. <laughs> Much later on. <laughs> and your interns. <laughs> but uh, I, got, I got that opportunity to be together with those good people. And uh, I met my wife here and uh, created my family, and she's done such a great job of raising my family, and uh, I was able to uh, be baptized here while I was uh, a, a student here uh, by a very good football player named Ken Call. Should we do the Ken Call story? It's a tough one. It's okay. Well, a lot of people floated through the dormitories trying to talk us into joining the church. Uh, I, I don't know whether they were people that hadn't gone on missions or they were return missionaries, but the John Hall was the athletic dorm, and there were a lot of non-members there. So it was a good opportunity for them to talk to us. And so uh, I know this isn't what they were saying, but what I was hearing was if I didn't join their church, I was going to hell. And, you know, we just had this feeling. One of our players, uh, uh, George Gruber, he uh, his father was a Presbyterian minister. And one of our discussions one night, he says, well, my dad's a Presbyterian minister. Are you telling me the things that he's been doing are for no good? And the guy says, that's right. Your dad's been leading you astray. <laughs> and George is our teammate. So we were gind of, kind of flabbergasted at that. But Ken Call came to me and said, uh, Mark, if you need any help in your Book of Mormon class, let me know. I, I can get some answers for you. And if I can't answer them, my grandfather knows everything about the church. He can get those answers for us. So I had some questions. And I, I gave them to him, and he gave me good answers. And uh, I started listening to Ken. Like, and, and Ken was the guy that was knocking on everybody's door at 8 o'clock in the morning and saying, Hey, get up for priesthood. Hey, it's time to get a priesthood. And he was the guy that was out there living the religion. He was... Uh, showing me a positive uh, example of how to be Christ-like. And so uh, Ken said, I have a friend that just got back from a mission. Uh, would you like to have us give you the lessons? So I said, okay, I'll, I'll listen. Yeah, I'll listen. Wasn't ready yet, but I was agreeable. Were you and Ann an item yet at this point? No. Okay. Uh, we knew each other. Okay. She was here at school. And uh, so, yeah, I, I had thoughts. I don't think she had them for me yet. <laughs> I think it was the free tickets to the football games that finally got her leaning in my direction. It's a good hook. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, so uh, I went through those discussions, discussions yeah. and uh, I decided to be baptized. And so I asked one of my other teammates if he would baptize me. And he said, oh, sorry, Mark, I'm not worthy to do that. So I went to Ken. Ken was the right guy to ask all along, and I really still think there was influence by a being. And uh, so Ken was so excited. He was jumping up and down. He was excited, and uh, we had our bab that baptism. And uh, I was so excited to have Ken do that because he was so excited about it. I uh, felt a genuine change in my life until one week later on a— the Saturday after I was baptized, Ken drowned in the Provo River. And uh, we used to go down there, and there was a place where the irrigation canal came off of the dam, and the water came shooting through there. We called them the flumes. And we'd jump in and kind of surf through it and uh, grab a rope at the end and pull ourselves out. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, uh, Ken, that's where Ken went the weekend after I was baptized, but they went to the dam side. And somehow they decided to go over the spillway 
and whether uh, Ken slipped or whether his feet kicked out from him from the spill water and his head hit the dam and he was in the undertow. And by the times the guys that were with him were able to get down there to him, uh, he had drowned. So that was a, a hard thing um, to have the guy that was kind of my inspiration to be able to join the church. Uh, he he was gone. And later on, I found out in his uh, at his funeral that uh, his patriarchal blessing said that he would serve a mission while he was here on earth. And you have a hard time. I have a hard time thinking that I was his mission, hmm. but uh, it was probably life. I just think it was life. But also, on the other hand, you can't deny that it might have been that way. So we dedicated that first game that next season to Ken Call. And against uh, it was against Colorado State. And uh, we ended up uh, kicking five field goals in that game to win it. And uh, Oh, man, it was uh, – there because Ken was a big part of our team. Uh, Tommy Hudspeth asked us one time, do you know who I would take if I was getting in a fight with somebody and I needed some backup? Do you know who – what player here I would take? Now, Ken was, you know, six foot, 180 pounds running back. And we're all thinking these bad linebackers and these mean guys. And no, 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 I would take Ken Call. There's more fight in that young man per pound than any of the rest of you. And so uh, he, was a, he was a good, tough football player. So uh, we did dedicate that game to him. And I was so worried, you know, the Gail Sayers movie when uh, they dedicated the, to, the game to Brian Piccolo and they ended up losing and Piccolo saying, when you dedicate the game to somebody you're supposed to win. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, man, we've got to win this thing. So we ended up getting that last field goal. I really thought I was in the end zone on a quarterback sneak, but they didn't give it to us, and so we kicked the last-second field goal to win it. This is uh, – what year would that have been? 1969. That was your last playing year, right? My last playing year. Yeah. Yeah, 1969. So you got baptized in 68 then? Was it 68? No, it was in, was it, it was, was it, after spring football. So, so, was, it was, so was the, it was the year of 69. It was your yeah. last year Yeah, right before that season. Yeah, I had knee surgery in uh, uh, April. I got baptized in May, and I got married in June. <laughs> and you played your senior season that year? I did. That's... I played that season out, and I— uh, it was a fun year. It was a fun year. So 65 got you to BYU. 66 would have been the year you had to sit because freshmen couldn't play. 65 right? was the freshman year. And then 60, 66 was, was the redshirt red shirt year. And then 67, 8, 9 were your playing years. So I played behind, or I listened to Virgil Carter, learned how to be a quarterback uh, when I redshirted behind uh, Virgil. And Virgil was a smart, good quarterback, really good player. And... Uh, in that year, we played Wyoming. What year did we play? What game did we play Wyoming in 1966? Near the end of the year, second to last game. Yeah. So, Home. so Tommy Husband came to me and said, "If Virgil gets hurt in this game, you're going in." So here I'd gone through the whole season as a red shirt and was about ready to lose it if Virgil got hurt. And Virgil got his nose broken. <laughs> But he wouldn't come out of the game. So I like Virgil as a tough kid. <laughs> we'll talk about Mark's playing days uh, when we come back. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. That'll be harder to talk about than anything we've said already. <laughs> <laughs> this is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Greg and Mark with you tonight. Behind the Mic, back with Mark after this. 21 years. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. From 1965 through 1969, he was a quarterback for the BYU Cougars, and then for the last 38 years now, he's been the color commentary, uh, color commentator, broadcaster for the BYU football radio broadcast. He's Mark Lyons, of course. And uh, he's with me tonight on Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. And uh, I mentioned we, we, would, we would talk about your playing days in this segment. We're going to. And uh, <laughs> your, your predecessor was Virgil Carter. Virgil. And, and he, he, got to, he got BYU some renown. And not only did, did he play well here, 
he became a thing at the next level. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, Bill Walsh's uh, one of was, his mainstays was was Virgil Carter in the pro game, wasn't he? Yeah. So he went to Chicago, and uh, that's before Bill Walsh had come up with kind of that West Coast offense, mm-hmm. but kind of introduced part of that uh, while he was at Chicago. And yeah, he started. He handed off to Gale Sayers. Man alive! It was. Uh, he was in the big time and uh, ended up in Cincinnati. Ended up in Cincinnati, but the, I wanted to tell his wife was Judy Green, and she was a cheerleader here at BYU. So uh, they scripted the plays though at Chicago, and so Judy would uh, help him memorize the order of what plays were going to be called. So Judy knew all the plays that were coming out in the script. So she was sitting up in the stands with all the Bears fans around her, you know, and. They always run Sayers first down. I'll bet they're going to give it to Sayers first down. Here, he, yep, there he goes. And so then, but you know, I bet they run a bootleg this time. <laughs> so she's up there this talking. Woman to all, is, like, she's this here, woman is like this woman. Yeah, she's yeah. up here talking to all these people, and they're starting to. What she? Why does she? And then all of a sudden, she's right on the, on the first three plays, and they're starting to look. Who is this girl? <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, and then he goes to Cincinnati, and he ends up uh, playing, and uh, they actually go to the playoffs. Uh, I don't know. They weren't in the Super Bowl, but uh, they were in the playoffs, and when they got eliminated, their coach, oh, man, oh, man, they asked him, uh, who are you looking for in the draft? And he said, we're going to have to get a get a quarterback. And they got Ken Anderson. And Ken Anderson was the end of Virgil Carter's uh, life as a starting quarterback. So. You you followed Virgil uh, in the quarterbacking uh, shoes here at BYU. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were, uh, in 67, 68, and 69, uh, the guy or one of the guys. One of the guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in 1967, my first year of playing. Uh, the year I was born, by the way. <laughs> Well, uh, in 65, uh, BYU won the first conference championship of the school, and uh, that was Virgil. And that was the year they brought in the Marines. And Phil Odell was What does that of, mean when you say bring in the Marines? Yeah, they brought in, uh, I think, eight or nine different players that uh, had played in the Marine Corps football team. And when they were finishing with their Marine uh, requirements, uh, Tommy Hudspeth uh, recruited those guys and got them to come to BYU. And five of them were really good players. Uh, Phil Odell and, uh, oh, man, uh, if I should, I don't know if I can do this or not, Casey Boyette and uh, Max Newberry and Paul Ehrman and Paul, Perry Rodrigue. And uh, those guys, oh, and Dick Banke. And those guys were all solid football players. And uh, that's the point that I'm going to make is uh, how good that Phil was really helped a quarterback be good. So uh, when they came in, uh, BYU did have a six and four season. However, they were uh, only lost one game in the conference, and uh, they ended up being uh, the conference champions. And uh, so that was that was great. Got a, a good start with those guys. Sixty uh, six, they were still very good. Uh, lost to Arizona State, I think, that uh, cost them the conference title that year. And then uh, my year, the next year, was 1967, and Phil Odell was still going to stay. He decided to stay one more year, and Casey Boyette, uh, the other wide receiver, and uh, they were good. And uh, it made me a good quarterback. Um, We thought we threw a lot. Uh, We thought we were a passing team, but we didn't throw a lot. We threw 20 times maybe a game, and... uh, Boy, uh, Phil caught most of those passes. <laughs> and so uh, as the season went on, Phil uh, had a remarkable season, set a hmm, set a record for the most catches in a season, but I don't know what level of record it was, whether it was an NCAA record. He had 84-something catches. And, uh, so uh, that was pretty fun that uh, that Phil was there. And, and, and BYU uh, had a winning record that year. You were 6-4. and four. We were 6-4. and four. There were three of us that uh, played alphabetically. And I don't know how that happened. They brought in a junior college hotshot, and uh, he was uh, he was probably too hot of a shot, and uh, a lot of the players didn't accept him very well. And so he 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 was a pretty good player, but he got in some trouble, and he was gone after about five games. That was your redshirt sophomore year, sixty-seven. Yeah, redshirt yeah. sophomore. That's right. Nine touchdown passes, three touchdown runs. Yeah, way to go. Yeah, I know. Uh, next year. Not as good a year, record-wise, but that yeah. was the year you went to Kalamazoo 
Oh, that's right. And beat Western Michigan well, in the season opener. 67 was our second game uh, was against Western Michigan. Home. We pulverized them. Yeah, 40, yeah. 44 Let's, Let's talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next one was good, too. You had, well, uh, uh, yeah, well, we'll talk more about it on game day, about that next one. Uh, oh, okay. so, so, so not the best of seasons in 68. No, but, you know, let me say this. There's two things. Again, I wasn't a very good quarterback, and Phil Odell was the reason. And it is so interesting that I know I talk about this a lot when I say it helps to have good receivers to make quarterbacks better, and usually we just let it go. But uh, Phil was the whole reason that I could play quarterback my sophomore year. And then when he was gone the junior year, I wasn't a very good quarterback. And uh, we were a good football team. We were still a good football team. We were competitive in all the games. Uh, We... uh, we just couldn't win games. And so uh, there was something about finishing games. But uh, I felt as though when I, I know I talked about this when we were talking, oh, yeah, last year, you were the last team that was two and eight. And uh, so we were still a pretty good football team. Then the next year is your senior year, and you're a winning record team again. Yeah. Six and four that year, and nine more touchdown passes, and this time five touchdown runs. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so. Unfortunately, uh, my numbers and my career are way less than John Beck's single season. <laughs> so they're still there. Well, I, this I don't want to spoil game day here, but uh, but your numbers stand up historically pretty well in some pretty interesting ways. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, wow, you are a magician. Greg. Yeah. Okay. He's so you were you were playing for Tommy Hudspeth, and one of the coaches on the staff while you were playing here was Lavelle Edwards. Lavelle Edwards was here. Yeah, and he was the the defensive coordinator. Uh, really a good football coach. Um, you think? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the players, uh, you know, the whole thing is L- Lavelle just cared. Now he was a hands-on, tough guy as a defensive coordinator. Uh, people people don't think of him that way. No, they don't. They seem his later year, you know, and that's the whole thing about uh, Lavelle is you had to earn he had to earn respect. And to do that, he had to initiate I'm in charge, we're going to do things my way, and if you do them my way, we're going to be successful. And he did that with the defense. Uh, I, I tell this story. I, I thought it was pretty amusing. He told the defense as a defensive coordinator, we'll never leave the field before the offense. And so at practice, every night, the defense was always the last ones to come off the field. So one night we decided, let's just run skeleton plays here for about 15 minutes while those guys down there are hitting each other and knocking their heads off. <laughs> so, so we're just running perfect play drills against nobody. And uh, and turn it around and kept running them and running them. And those guys, we looked down in there, they're still smashing each other and they come off the field. What were you guys doing out on the field? <laughs> they weren't happy that we had made them stay out there an extra long time getting beat up. So uh, Lavelle was really a solid uh, coach. Uh, defenses were always solid. They ran a very unique 4-3 uh, defense that uh, uh, I thought was just uh, masterful. And, uh, boy, they had uh, players that worked hard, and they were, they were solid, good players. Before the break, um, and I need, need to get to it. I'm running behind a little bit. But uh, the social climate of the day, how would you summarize the era in which you played relative to the nation's social climate in the late 60s? Are you talking about the, uh, ref- the protests and things that uh, we saw at uh, many different places? Yeah, it was really interesting that uh, people had chosen uh, at the time that they were uh, upset with the LDS church because uh, blacks weren't able to have the priesthood. And uh, many people uh, picked up on that, uh, mostly uh, black that were upset about uh, anything that they could kind of point out that this is unfair. And UTEP, uh, and, and so the one that we all talk about is the Wyoming season in 1968. But the one that got started was earlier at UTEP and at uh, New- San Jose State. San Jose State. Yeah. yeah. At San Jose State, we landed not at the airport, but out on uh, tarmac, and we were met there by a police escort with our buses. And this police escort took us to our hotel. We're going, what in the world, you know? And uh, so at the 
at our hotel, we had a bomb scare that night at about 3 in the morning and said, uh, this has been called in. You can do it if you want to. But everybody got up and went out. and uh, It was uneasy. And then at game day, man, there were more policemen all around the stadium. And uh, it was uh, an eerie kind of situation to be involved with. And as a non-member player, still kind of curious about what this is all about, uh, it was odd that uh, we weren't there. We felt as though we're just kind of playing football, and yeah. we weren't making any kinds of political statements. Statement, but an interesting time uh, at, at which to try and focus on your task athletically at a time when all these things were were happening. You, and you had to kind of go through it and deal with it, and you did, and and. Uh, it was an interesting part of your of your career here, for sure. We'll take a break. Uh, Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel continues. We're brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Mark Lyons, my guest tonight. You hear much more from Mark on Friday for BYU football. Cougars in Western Michigan at the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. More with Mark after this here on BYU Radio. Stay with us. Welcome back to Behind the Mic, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Here's your host, Greg Rubel. Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel and my guest, Mark Lyons, tonight to this portion of the program. is brought to you by BYU Alumni. They sponsor our Catching Up with the Cougar segment each week. BYU alumni chapters help students in need and spread the influence of the Y around the world. Stay connected for good and find your chapter at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. First uh, parts of the show have kind of covered uh, Mark's upbringing and his BYU career. Uh, and uh, you finished with BYU uh, by the time the 70s hit, but you weren't finished with football. Uh, yeah. Your dad was a coach and you became a coach. Yeah, I really think that was a, a big influence. Uh, the game was hard for me to leave. It was hard for me to give up. That last game that we played, uh, to think as you're walking off the field, man, that's it. You know, it's over. Uh, it was hard for me to deal with. I'd graduated in business management uh, with a concentration in marketing, and there weren't a lot of job opportunities at the time. Uh, and if there were, carnation. And I wanted to be in their marketing or advertising and they said, well, you go stock the grocery stores with Frisky's dog food for two years. And so I interviewed with Conoco, and they said, well, you're going to run a gas station for a couple of years, and then we'll move you where we want you to go. And I said, oh, man, I don't know if that's what I want to do. And so uh, I decided my wife still had a year to finish, and so I decided since I'm still going to be here, I'll go ahead and uh, certify to be a teacher. And I uh, did want to coach. That was kind of it. Uh, Wayne Starton was one of my coaches when I was at BYU, and he had left and gone to Olympus High School as a football coach. And uh, he knew that I was uh, graduating, and he recruited me to Olympus. And uh, uh, I went there as a pretty much a coach and a teacher. And in my lifetime of being uh, at that school, I became a teacher that coached. And uh, it was uh, an important transition for me to make, but I didn't ever give up the game. Uh, the game is ingrained in me. Uh, it's the best game in the world. The strategies, the effort, the the whole thing that uh, is part of it, the things you learn about life. And, and in high school, it was so good because I got a, a class list of kids that had to be in my class, and I'm going to teach them, and I wanted to prepare them for life. But they were there because they had to be. And at the the athletics, they chose to come out and be a part of it. And so I got a chance then because they wanted to be part of it. I could teach them about things I had learned in relationship to athletics and life. And uh, it really was a rewarding experience to have that same association with, uh, with players that I had with my coaches. And it was... Uh, it's just such a, an important part of who I am today to see those guys give everything they had in order to uh, be together as Olympus Titans, unified as one team, and uh, 
it was rewarding. And beyond just Olympus football players, the number of times you've been out to dinner or at a stadium and somebody will come up and, and, and remind Mark or Mark will spot them as former students, of not players, but students of his. Yeah, yeah. Mark was as famous as a teacher as he was a coach at Olympus, <laughs> and people still talk about uh, what a great teacher he was. What's your favorite Olympus coaching memory before we uh, move ahead to broadcasting? <laughs> Well, it was winning the state championship, of course, uh, against Alta, and it was oh, it was great. It it, it was a highlight of my life. You know, it was something special. But uh, just a quick story that uh, we had a really good quarterback. His name was Mike Vanderhoof, and we were playing Skyline, our rival. And uh, we're in a position that if we score this last touchdown, we're going to win this football game. And he got it. Uh, Mike ran the football on the preceding play before we called timeout to to stop the clock, and he got tackled. And so he's coming off to talk to us about what we're going to run on this play. And I said, where are you? Where are you? Meaning where was the ball spotted? And he said, Coach. I'm right here at Olympus High School playing football. I'm okay. <laughs> so he thinks he, you're doing a concussion check. Yeah, he and thought I, I was checking for a concussion. Like, and uh, instead, you want to know the line of scrimmage? Yeah. yeah. And so uh, we ran quarterback sneak, and he scored the touchdown, <laughs> and uh, we ended up winning that football game, and uh, ended up ranked number one in the state, and played Skyline in the state finals, and they mauled us. <laughs> oh boy. So we got our shot to be region champions, so we got a ring, just not the ring we were looking for. Uh, At some point, uh, you had to uh, give up the, the coaching part of your professional life yeah. for something much better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the broadcast booth. The broadcast booth, that's right. Uh, uh, which time? Well, Both there, times, it, the it, end? There, were, there were two stints. But, yeah, but, so well, there were two times. Should yeah. we go to the end? Yeah. I think they're both kind of interesting. All right. Uh, so uh, Chris, uh, Chris Pella was a coach here at, Olympi- <laughs> at uh, BYU, and he was reading through the recruiting restrictions and violations and rules and uh, found out that uh, the broadcaster for the football team can't be a high school coach, which I thought was uh, just crazy. And so he brought that up to the attention to everybody and said, we're breaking this rule. And the rule said that if you did an interview with the head coach in your broadcast, well, that was the violation. Apparently, this came from uh, either USC or UCLA. It was a Los Angeles school, they told me, that uh, they hired a high school coach, and he would route a lot of his better players to that school, and they paid him a huge amount of money compared to what I was getting. <laughs> and so they, he would route players to those schools, and then they rewarded him by increasing his pay as the broadcaster. And they decided that was not a good thing, and they made that rule. Now, uh, I then was in this situation where I had to make a decision. Do I coach or do I do the broadcasting? And at the time, I still wasn't through with coaching. And so I took a year out of uh, off of broadcasting, and uh, Chuck Cutler came in and did the broadcast. He was the color guy. And then the second year, uh, Doug Miller had moved to TV, and it ended up that uh, I was able to do TV games because we didn't interview the coach. But we only did a few of the games. It wasn't a consistent part of being at every every game, and I didn't feel as though I was a part of BYU football. I was just there once in a while. And so after that season of doing those four or five football games on TV uh, with uh, Jim Nance, uh, Jim Nance, though, missed one game. He had a parent. No, it was Bowler Jack. It was Bowler Jack. And he had a parent die and had to miss a game, and Gifford Nielsen came and did the play-by-play for that game. Um. I decided that uh, I'd had enough of uh, cleaning uniforms and fundraising and dealing with parents. And later on, I missed dealing with parents. But <laughs> so I decided that I was going to stop coaching and I'd go back to the broadcast booth. Radio booth full time. The radio booth full time. Yeah. When I say full time, you were still a teacher, but you would now be an every game broadcaster. That's for right. And so I, I was now doing uh, all the games again, uh, doing the the broadcasting and uh, 
So it, it was a change. It was a hard thing to do to give up the football, but at the time, uh, it was a good time to be able to make that change. And uh, I'm glad that Paul James and KSL allowed me to do that because Chuck Cutler, uh, I think he did a fine job, but I think also Chuck was willing to say, okay, Mark, you can come back. So Mark came back, and then PJ and Mark became a team that would last uh, for decades. We'll talk about that and, uh, and uh, kind of conclude our, our show and uh, and uh, the chapter. Let's play two. <laughs> <laughs> Go for a second hour. Yeah. Back on next week. This is uh, brought to you by BYU alumni. Want to help BYU students but don't know how? You can with BYU alumni chapters. Find the chapter that fits you at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. More behind the mic with Greg Grubel and my guest Mark Lyons after this on BYU Radio. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Welcome back. Closing segment of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, joined by Mark Lyons. I've been joined by Mark Lyons a lot over the last few decades. Mark with me here in Studio 2 at uh, BYU Radio. In our final segment here, it's the... uh, the broadcast era uh, for Mark Lyons. You 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 came back. You talked about before the break, and now you're Paul James's full time partner. Uh, Paul left us this year and and uh, left us with a lot of great memories. How do you uh, kind of summarize your time uh, working alongside uh, Paul James, who was truly a play by play great? Yeah, and I am going to say I've been so lucky to to have Paul James uh, help tutor me and instruct me and uh, be part of. Uh, how it went in the broadcast booth. And then to follow up with you is the same thing, but I'm going to wait till the end of that probably. (laughs) Paul was great, Uh, and I am going to say there's so many similarities, and I like that you have stated before that Paul taught you everything, and so that's part of the reason that it was. But he had great recall. Uh, He was able to describe things uh, verbally using such uh, good words, and you, you were able to understand and my uh, so I, I applied for the job. You know, one night uh, he said Virgil Carter won't be back next year as our color commentator, and I thought, hey, what's the worst they can say is ha, no chance. <laughs> so I went, and we did a voice test, and we were down in a booth like this, and Paul starts calling a play, and I'm, I'm visualizing and seeing this play in my mind, and uh, I said, "Yeah, Paul, and goal line, you've got to be ready at the snap count because both sides." Oh, that's good, that's good. But I'm still <laughs> saying, "Where is he seeing this play that he's calling?" He calls another play, and I followed up with something, and uh, so uh, I was quite impressed the, the visual things that you could see from Paul calling those plays, and so. Uh, Paul also had this inflection in his voice that just sounded exciting. And uh, so uh, for him to have uh, been, uh, he had uh, some illnesses when he was younger and wasn't able to participate in sports, but he beat me every time we played tennis. He was good. He was good. You beat me every time we played backgammon, (laughs) and you're good. And uh, so I, I did get Paul, though, on the golf course, and so that helped a little bit. But uh, And he didn't want to play Paul in bridge either. No, bridge and, and cards. and he did. Paul did all those amazing magic tricks and everything. <laughs> so uh, Paul was a lot of fun. But uh, I did appreciate that he helped teach me. Uh, we would listen to tapes afterwards, and he would go through and identify, this is good, that uh, this was bad, uh, this I did bad, this you did good. And so uh, it really helped us to get a better idea of, uh, and and we got that timing where we were able to uh, both speak and not be too confusing about who was supposed to be talking. Well, uh, no better person to learn from uh, than, than PJ. And I, I, again, echo everything you said because the things he did are the things I still do. I, 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 that's how I learned how to do this, this job. Uh, we got to do one game together in uh, 1996 as Paul recovered from heart surgery. And that was a pretty interesting experience in and of itself, having that happen uh, in, before a game, having him basically have a heart attack before a BYU-Utah game with you in the booth next to him. <laughs> so when the, yeah, the TV is spanning, you know, showing everything, and then they're saying this rivalry means so much to people that the broadcaster for BYU is having a heart attack in the booth right now, and he won't leave. 
<laughs> and and Paul's got his shirt off, and they've all wired up with the EKG. And uh, the thing that got to me is when they got to the point where they said, uh, we're telling you you're having a heart attack and that you can die from this, and you're refusing to take our advice to go to the hospital, and you have to sign this thing that says you're stupid. <laughs> And so uh, Paul goes, Paul James, right there. And I Let was, me call the game now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then afterwards, we're saying, we'll handle the post game. Paul, take off, you know, uh, go to the hospital. And, oh, I'm okay. I'll be all right. And so, yeah, finally he gets to the hospital and the next day, bypass surgery. Six bypasses. Yeah. And they sent me on the road to take his place at a basketball game in Seattle. I'd never called play-by-play for anything. And two days later, I'm doing Paul James's job. Yeah. And then a few weeks later, we're calling a, a football, football game, game together in Las Vegas. And then you Paul were great. Came, uh, you were great. Then Paul came back, and, and uh, he said, I'm good with basketball. So I started doing basketball. And then when Lavelle left football, then Paul was done with football. And then uh, it got to be my privilege to to take his place sitting next to you. And we've done that for the last 18 years. Yeah, I know. And, and we're running out of time because we could talk. And again, Greg Rubel is a, an amazing sports trivia knowledgeable person. I think you've become the, uh, I think you are the guy that people should listen to related to all sports items that go on all around. And uh, like I've said before, but you're so good with words. Greg, in, in uh, uh, Jeff Call's article, yeah, I had tears. I did. I had tears. And not only me, so did some of my friends that called me up. You said so many nice things, and the way you spin those, it's just uh, poetic. And and he is poetic. Uh, I just uh, so many times I'm uh, back smiling in the microphone as he's called this particular play, and it's so special on how he's put this together in one second, and it comes out with proper sentence structure, and it's so amusing and enticing, mm. and it's exciting. Uh, and that's so... I do get to sit back, and I, I do tell people, so they say, what do you do as a color guy? And I say, well, the other guy calls the play, and I say, good call, Greg. Or I say, that's right, Greg. And the, and they give me hot dogs for free. <laughs> We're going to come back and say goodbye in one minute. You're on BYU Radio. Well, thanks for joining us behind the mic on this Wednesday, December 19th. Thanks to my special guest tonight, the one and only Mark Lyons. Say goodnight, Mark. Good night, Greg. <laughs> With the Christmas and New Year's holidays upcoming, uh, we'll be off for each of the next two weeks. Our next Behind the Mic is uh, Wednesday, January 9th, when my scheduled guests will be BYU women's soccer standout Maddie Sidaway-Gates and former BYU center and current ESPN college football analyst Trevor Maddox. Thanks also tonight to coordinating producer Terry South. My name is Greg Rubel. Thanking you for tuning in to Behind the Mic. We'll talk to you next on Wednesday, January 9th, 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 o'clock Mountain, right here on BYU Radio. Till then, for Mark Lyons, I am Greg Rubel. Saying goodnight. Go Kooks. You have been listening to Behind the Mic with the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Listen to the podcast at byuradio.org. Now BYU Radio comes to you in more ways than ever. Nationwide, we're heard on Sirius XM Satellite Radio on Channel 143. You can get us on iOS and Android apps. Ask your smart speakers for BYU Radio. Stream us worldwide at byuradio.org. And in Utah, you can get